0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Thanks again for all of you who were a part of celebrating my birthday. I cannot believe I turned 30 this week. It was amazing. Finally got over that hump. So seriously, I was so encouraged. Uh, This room was filled Way With way more people than I was expecting, and um, my wife, I just want to give it up for my wonderful wife who has, she, she 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 threw two parties for me, one here and one in Texas for some of our friends back from uh, where we moved from 20 years ago, and we had a, a crew of people there, and after this one was over, a few hours after the party, she said, okay, that's it, you're celebrated. <laughs> she, she didn't say it that way, she actually was very great. Kind, but she put a lot of work into everything, so thank you, sweetheart. Um, we are three weeks away, and, I, and I'm especially saying this to people in this room who do not like change. Um, anybody in the room that does not like change? I know you by the, by the fact that you sit in the same seat for the last 10 years. You know, it's like uh, you get upset when somebody sits in your chair. Um, We are moving um, ahead in the fall to um, begin to meet as a congregation with two services on Sunday. So September 9th will be our first Sunday where we will actually have a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. So you want to make sure that you adjust for one of those times and locations or you'll be walking right into the middle of our first service if you come on time for this service. Um, But we're excited about that, and one of the reasons that we're excited, and the phrase that we've been using for the last year as we anticipated this move was, God, we want to create more spaces for more faces. We want to give opportunity for more people to hear about Jesus, to fellowship with us, to experience what I believe is one of the most dynamic and life-giving and loving atmospheres and communities in the whole world, which is the church, but not just the church, but Antioch-Waltham. And so that's you. And so I want more people to know you and get to know you. But more importantly, most importantly, I want more people to get to know Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Yeah. And so we have actually been um, we have been larger than normal this summer. Um, we've been tracking with 40 to 50 more people a Sunday than we normally have. This Sunday is about is a little bit less than we have been um, gathering on Sunday morning. So we've been encouraged that the time is now for that to happen. But it means that it's going to mean an adjustment for many of us in the room. An adjustment of time. Uh, I know many of you have already expressed, oh, I'm just sad that I'm not going to see so and so. And so we recognize that. And there is a cost to reaching out. But that's true about our life, isn't it? Uh, if we are called to extend the gospel of grace, the message of good news to people, it always costs us something. And the cost of what we give up is returned in the satisfaction or the joy of knowing that something eternal is happening in people's lives and that you're a part of it. And so I want to give you an eternal perspective this morning, that God, we want to be a people that does whatever it takes to bring people to you. And that's our challenge. We've been, we've been moving um, uh, throughout the whole summer in the book of James and did May just knock it out of the park last week in sharing with us? May, I don't know where you are. I saw you up here, but you, I lost you. There you are. Okay, uh, just so encouraged. So many people shared with me, and I hope that they shared with you, uh, that sense of, uh, really the most important thing that I heard everybody say was, wow, through what she, with what she has gone through, such faith to believe in the living God. And so your faith to continue to walk strong, and encouraging the Lord even through the tragedies that you've walked through this summer is a testament to all of us, and it's stirring us to love God in that way. So thank you, May, for ministering to us last week. We're at the end of James. We're in the middle of, I mean, at the last two verses, and you can look with me in your Bible, your tablet, your phone, your memory bank. However you want to access James 5, verses 19 and 20, go ahead and get those up in front of you. But I want to share a little story as we enter into this passage of scripture. I'm thinking that probably the majority of this room can connect with this experience. Uh, And I, and I, I thought about, I've had multiple experiences about like the one I'm about to describe to you, but I when I was thinking about sharing it, I had one specific instance that stands out above the rest, and it's the situation of a parent and or a friend, and if you are not a parent, you are a friend of a parent, and a parent in a large setting of people loses track of their child. Have you ever been there? As a parent, have you ever been there? I'm sorry to actually cause your heart to race right now. Your kids are okay with our children's workers in the back. They are safe. (laughs) They have not left the building i don 't think, although it 's really interesting because the story I share is actually in a church context A few years ago uh, as we before we started the 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 river church, which is now Antioch Waltham, I was pastoring the church in Brighton, Antioch Brighton, and um, we were set, we were shutting down for the day we were breaking down all of the all of the chairs and all of the Tapestry and everything we have to do to set up and tear down for a Sunday service in a school, and in the middle of like five or ten minutes after we were setting that, you remember this story, Laura? You're going to remember this, I think. I, I believe you're there. One of our workers, Victoria Landers, yells in a blood curdling scream. We've You know, you know, we're like lost who? you know, every parents like who, which kid is lost, but there was this scream and every and she said, we've got to find so and so, you know, and then immediately like every person's adrenaline went on, you know, like uh, (laughs) a hundred times past normal. And we spread out and run. I mean, people are running. People are screaming. They're throwing things up in the air. They're looking under things that no kid could be under. They're, they are so frantic to find this child. And of course, as typically, almost always happens, uh, the kid was found. But the, the immense intensity of the search was alarming. But not just alarming, It was right. It was right. At that moment, I'm sure that, I can't remember the story, but I'm sure there had been a five or ten minute calm search, you know, checking the places that they should be, asking questions, have you seen so and so or whatever. And after all the normal searches had happened, the parental protection arose to find the missing child. There was an urgency. Because why? Because that child mattered. That child's life was important. That child's welfare was significant. The possibilities of what could be happening or could happen to the child were front and center in the minds of those concerned. Whatever cost, whatever it takes, we're going to find the missing child. I have a really good friend in life. His name's Jeff Bianchi. And we got to know each other in our early 20s. But his story is similar, but it's not when he was a little kid. It was a story of him as a high schooler and a college student. And it wasn't a story in which he had gotten lost from his parents at church. That would be odd if his mom was saying, My 19-year-old is gone! Search for him! You need to let him go. Um, He's going to be okay. No, it wasn't that one, but it was the same kind of intensity. It was that this... This man, this this good friend of mine, had grown up in the church, had grown up following the Lord, but he'd wandered away. He had gone off to college. Even before he went off to college, he started to dabble in smoking pot and partying, and that lifestyle carried over into his time at college. And the longer it went, the farther away he walked from his faith in Jesus and the life that God had called him to, and his mom and dad, we're sincere believers in the Lord. And every day, I know his mom well. I've lived with them at different times. I know she's a woman of prayer. Every day she prayed. And she didn't just pray. She prayed. She prayed as a mom who was looking for her child after the end of a service when they weren't around. She prayed, God, I know that the most important thing for my son's life is he knows you, Jesus. Jesus. And that he's walking with you. And he's walking within the life and freedom and protection that you provide. And God, he is straight. Would you please, with desperate prayer, she would pray, would you rescue him? I know that they also prayed because every life group every week, they prayed in their life group, their small group. What do you, what do you want to pray, pray about? Going around the circle, you get to Ted and Emma, please pray for my son Jeff. He's not walking with the Lord. In the middle of college, he tells the story. He says, at one point, I realized that my life was not where it should be. And all I could think about is my mom's praying for me. And the prayers of my mom turned my heart towards God through the church that somebody invited me to. And I was reminded afresh, I love Jesus. I want Jesus to be the leader of my life. His life was radically Turned around in college, he came back home, the life group rejoiced, mom and dad rejoiced, and the rest is history. He is now a pastor um, on staff in San Diego, um, serving God powerfully as a life dedicated to the Lord. Moral of the story, theme of the message, we matter to God. You matter to God. The church, the people that have been transformed and set free by Jesus matter to the loving God in heaven who wants to see them not only in church, but walking in freedom, walking in the life that he's called them to live. So which brings me to my text for this morning, and you can read with me. We just got through James 5. To verse 18 with May last week. And we end the whole book of James with these two verses. My dear brothers and sisters. If someone among you wanders away from the truth. And is brought back. You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering. Will save that person from death. And bring about the forgiveness of many sins the very end of James. We've learned from James how to persevere in trial. We've learned how to uh, not just be ones who say that we believe in Jesus but live out our life with action. We've learned from James how important it is that those actions demonstrate themselves in the way of caring for the those who cannot care for themselves, the needy, the orphans, the widows. We've learned from James that this life of faith is not just meant to be something that sits in our brain but is to be lived through our lives. We've learned that we're not to walk in fear, that we're not to walk in greed, that we're not to walk in anger, we're not to walk in division. James has told us straight how we're to live. And he ends the passage of Scripture, not with a throw on couple of verses that sometimes people go, why is that there? He ends the passage of this letter to the the people that he's writing to, the twelve tribes scattered throughout the region. The church matters. The people of God that you know matter. And if they are not walking in the truth, sound the alarm. Send out the search party. Go and bring them back so that we can walk together as the church that God has called us to be. Who's lost in this passage? Christians. This is not about people who don't know Jesus. This passage of Scripture is talking about those within the flock, within the church, who have wandered away. It's our family. It's the people in our lives that should be the most dear to us. The ones that we should care the most about. Those who are most like us because they have the same story that you and I have. Amen? Is it true for every single person in this room who calls themselves a believer in Jesus that once you were lost and that Jesus found you? Is it true in this room that at one point in your life you were spiritually blind, you could not see the truth, you didn't even want to believe the truth, you couldn't even imagine that the truth was truth? You were blind and then at some point in your life, some circumstance, something was said or spoken or a light from heaven hit your soul and the blindness was taken away and you could see. Is that true for all of us in this room? That we were once dead in our sins and Jesus brought us back to life again. So that if we are one of those, one of those called by Christ, if one of those called by Christ starts to get deceived or starts to stumble or starts to wander. is it not true that if, but by the grace of God in our own life, we could be just like them? I didn't get as many amens that time. It's true. There are family. Those who God not only loves deeply, he loves everyone, but those he has made a promise to. Do you understand the difference? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. But to those who believe, he gave the rights to be sons of God. Daughters of God. Part of the family. He loves everybody, but he made a promise to those who believe. He made a promise to you and I who believe in Jesus. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. He said, if you believe, you will have eternal life. John five twenty four. He said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. John 10, verse 28. This is the promise of a father who has redeemed you and me. The promise to those he loves. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have invited him into your life, at some point in your life, you placed your trust and your faith in him to restore your soul, And if you find yourself distant from God right now, He wants you back. And the door is wide open. What's the condition of those who are lost in this passage, who are wandering? What is the condition of their life? I just gave you a clue. They're wandering. They're wandering from God. They're wandering from His truth. That word in the Greek, planithia, Planithi, excuse me, suggest one who has missed his path and is hopelessly lost. We take, our, we take the word planet in the Greek. The, pl- the word planet is taken from this word. And so the image is a planet that is not set on its course, but that is off course in the, co- in the context of its orbit or its pattern. We've had a pattern, we've lived with Christ, we've walked with Christ, and for some reason, as a believer, we've, we've got, gotten out of the path. We've started to fly recklessly out of orbit, not centering around the Son of God, but centering around our own world and our own choices and circumstances. And we've lost perspective on where our hope is. This is a wanderer in the context of James' passage. It's a serious departure from their faith. It's not just a one-time doubt. It's not just a one-time sin. But it's a pattern. A pattern that's unhinged them from orbiting, living in the context of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Other ways that we see it, and we're going to bring in some other passages of Scripture that talk about rescuing the wandering. But in Galatians 6.1, Paul says it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin you should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. So another way of putting it is that this wanderer is overcome by sin. That sin has taken a root or a hold of their life instead of the righteous life that God has given us. And they're overburdened. They are in bondage. They are destructive in their pattern of living. Or the way that Jude, verses 22 and 23 says... And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Wanderers are unhinged in their truth or their perspective in who God is. They've forgotten what the truth is and they are orbiting around another set of principles or ideas or ways of living. They are overcome by sin and the patterns of sin and the destructiveness of sin, which is the the opposite of the nature of the character of God. And as a result, Jude describes it as this way: they are wavering in their faith. Have we? Under, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I've touched these elements in my own life. I understand what these passages of scripture are saying. I've come close to moving into a place of doubt and unbelief in my faith, being shaken because of the allurement of sin in my life or the bondage of sin or embracing or being around doctrines of truth that are not congruent with the things that God teaches all of those things sewn together can set us off course on a path that's destructive do you know this person is this person you is it someone in your life that God is bringing to mind and I just pause here and say, are there people coming to mind that you know, wow, they once lived passionately for Jesus and now what are where are they? what are they believing? what are they doing? keep that person in view for the rest of the, the sermon I want you to keep that person in mind as we as we keep on going. So who is the search and rescue party in this story you. Tag, your it. God said, welcome. Welcome to church. I want to send you out. I have a commission and a mission, a commissioning and a mission for you to go out and rescue those who are lost. I want us to step back and I want us to look at what this looks like in the context of James 5. Because last week, May... Shared with us a passage of scripture that I believe is a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. Do you remember this passage of scripture? Is if, if any of you, is anybody in trouble, he should pray. Does anybody have something to praise? They should sing something to be thankful for. They should sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray for you, and the prayers prayed in faith will be bring healing. And if you have sinned, you'll be forgiven. And we should confess to one another and be healed through one another. This is not just a passage of Scripture, this is a beautiful picture of what the church should look like. Amen? We should be in a place where we are living in life in such a way that if someone is in trouble, where do they go? They go here. They come to you. They say, Pierce, I am in trouble, man. And and they're not hiding it. They're not afraid to tell him, you know, I am in trouble. I used to be strung out on drugs, and I've been clean for 15 years, but, man, I messed up this weekend. I need some help. And Pierce goes, well, that's stupid. Why'd you do that? No, that's not what Pierce would do. Pierce was about to hit me. I, hate it. No, I'm just, I wouldn't do that. What are you talking about? Pierce says, dude, sit down. Come in. Tell me about it. Let's pray. What is a church about? The church is about, man, I want to tell you something great that's happened for me. Can I tell you about it? Where do we go? We go to the church, and what does the church do? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but let me tell you about what's going on with me. No! We say, yeah! Let's sing, let's shout, let's praise. We celebrate with one another. And when we're sick, where do we go? Yeah, we go to the doctors, we do the thing that we do, but we go to the church and we say, God, I need help. I'm afraid, I'm scared, I don't know what to do. I'm in pain, I'm suffering, I need help. And we say, church, help me. Pray with me, stir up my faith to believe for healing, stir up my faith to believe for hope, to persevere, stir up my faith. I need you and we pray, the elders of the church pray, and we call out and the church prays and we believe for the the hand of God to touch our brothers and sisters. And then if we sin, 15 It says, if you've committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Well, how can you be forgiven unless you confess? And it goes on and talks about confess your sins one another so that you will be healed. So we see in the church that the healing of God takes place in the physical and in the spiritual, but it can only happen if we get real with one another. We are committed at this church to be a place that you can bring your troubles to without condemnation, without judgment, and there will be condemnation and judgment at times because we're human, and when we do, we will repent for our condemnation and judgment that we put on you because neither of those are from God. That's not what we're called to do. We want to be a place where you are in trouble. You come and you find help. When you are rejoicing, we rejoice with you. When you are sick, we pray with you, and when you have sick,